what do I preach now? You know, I want to preach something else. I thought about that. Jesus said, you know, rejoice not, you know, over the fact that the demons are subject unto you. You ought to rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What he's saying is now there's something we're shouting about. And I thought about that as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I don't know how to explain this. In God's mind, my name's been in that book a long time. Long time, even before I knew it was going to get in there. It's in there. I don't know how to explain that to you. I just don't know. But I know this, probably all those years before I got saved, the devil might have said he ain't going to get saved. And then on that day, he got the, there, told you so. It's in there. It's in there. We got something to shout about tonight, don't we? God's been good to us. I like that. You know, I want to preach on that chapter. He said, don't shout, but shout. What he's saying is don't waste your worship on silly stuff. It's amazing how little it takes to get us emotional. Just a little bit of external stimuli will get us to shout. But he said, nothing ought to stir your heart like the fact that your name's written down in that book up there. Weather changes, politicians change, amen, people change, but that doesn't change. It's like that and it's going to stay like that. I'm glad you're here tonight and I fought that because I have a message scribbled in this Bible. Devil, I, I wanted to preach that, but I didn't study it, so I don't know what I'd say, but I wanted to preach it. But anyhow, go to Job, <laughs> Job chapter number one, and, uh, but I wanted to preach the other one, but this... I, honestly, though, what I do want is to be a help. And, uh, and I think it's more important to obey the Lord, isn't it? And that's what I want to do tonight. Thank you for coming tonight. Here's what you do. When you come to a revival meeting, you cast your vote for Jesus. B.R. Lakin was a preacher from West Virginia, and uh, that's where I'm from is West Virginia. Grew up there, raised there. A lot of good preachers from there. But anyway, B.R. Lakin's from West Virginia, and uh, he say this, we'll never have revival till we give God a chance. Now, I'll tell you what you do when you make the decision after a day of work or whatever you've done to come to church, at least you're giving God a chance. And you're here tonight, and I'm asking that God will help us tonight. I want to give you a thought that uh, God used to help me, and it's something that I've seen people struggle with. And uh, it can really mess us up if we're not careful. Maybe you've seen this before, maybe not, but let me show it to you in the book of Job. It'll be a little bit different than last night's message, but look, look at it with me. Job chapter number 1. Verse number 20, here's what the Bible says. Now, you know, you already know the story. In chapter number 1, the devil comes to Job's house, and a lot of bad things happen. We know that Job loses his finances. He loses his family as far as his children goes. His servants are all killed. Job's gone through a trial unlike anybody's ever gone through before outside of Jesus on Calvary. But I like what it says in verse number 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle. And shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Job's worshipping even though he's hurt. He's worshipping in humility and he's worshipping in holiness. Even though he's been through what he's been through, he's worshipping God. In verse 21 it said, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now look at this phrase. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In his fields being burned up, Job did good. In his livestock being stolen or consumed, Job did all right. In his babies, ten children, in his daughters and sons dying, Job did all right. He worshipped in all this. Then you come to chapter number two, and man, the way it starts out again. Isn't that just how life is, though? You mean to tell me there's more? Yeah, there's more. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came and talks about again, the devil goes before the Lord and the devil now 
turns his attention from Job's field and Job's family to his flesh. And we know what happens. He afflicts Job, and Job is covered from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with these oozing, burning sores. Then it says in verse number 9, Job's wife says unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now think about it. That's pretty heavy right there. Job's physically in pain, and now Job is emotionally in pain. His wife, who ought to be his biggest encourager, says, Why don't you just commit suicide? It'd be better off if you were dead. But the Bible says in verse number 10, the end of the verse, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Wait a minute, he's doing all right. Job is doing all right in it. Isn't that amazing? Job's doing all right in the death of his children. He's doing all right in the loss of his money. He's doing all right in the fact his body's breaking down. He's doing all right in the fact his wife wants him to curse God and die. Then you read the rest of the chapter, and his friends come and sit there and stare at him for seven days. They don't even say anything, and then when they begin to open their mouth, they simply accuse him. And the Bible tells us his grief in the last verse of the chapter, his grief was very great, but throughout all that, Job did all right. I'll say it like this, in all this, he kept his testimony. In all this, he had faith in God. In all this, he didn't say anything stupid. In all this, he maintained his reputation. But then look at the very first line of chapter 3. After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed. Wait a minute. He did all right in the heat of it. But it was after seven days of calm, the still, after the tragedy, the initial shock wore off. That's when Job began to do wrong. Chapter 3 is one of the darkest chapters in the Bible. In fact, it's Job basically wishing that he'd never been born or that he could at least be killed now. Job begins to question everything. His creation, he begins to question uh, the very fact that he's on this earth. And he opens his mouth and he sins. I want to preach a little while on this thought. The after this is more trying than the in all this. You notice back during COVID, churches kind of rallied a little bit during that period. But a lot of them have died off since then. I remember I preached my grandma's funeral. And uh, it was weird because I was driving to Pennsylvania for a meeting and got a phone call to come back. And I turned around and went back and, and, I, and I wasn't emotional. And I'm not overly emotional, weeping all the time anyway, but I mean, I, I didn't even really feel sorry as far like a loss. I just, I was the preacher. I was in the mode, you know. I, I knew I had, to, I had to do the funeral, I had to be with the family, I had to go to the funeral home, do all these things. And I never cried, I never broke, nothing. That was my grandma and I loved her and we were close. But then when I got to the church for the funeral and I was out in the lobby and got the family together to pray with them, I tell you, I broke then. Because everything, all the preliminaries were done. And I finally had time to sit there and think about what we were doing. And it hit me. And I don't know, but I just want to tell you tonight, when you're going through it, sometimes that's the easiest part. It's the after it's settled. After it's been decided. That's when you got to watch it. Pray with me and I'll give you the thought. Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight, please. I pray that you'd speak to the heart of someone who might need this message. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is vital to the Christian. There's an old song we used to sing, I'm using my Bible for a road map. You know that song? And what it means is every step along the journey of life, we'll let the Bible guide those steps. 
There might be some things you can neglect and do without, but if there's one thing you and I can't afford to lose, it is our Bible. Paul wrote to Timothy, and not just Timothy the preacher, but Timothy as a Christian. And he said, you ought to study to show thyself approved unto God. And can I say, that's still good for all of us this evening. In Psalm 1, it tells us if you want to have a blessed life, then you have to have a life that is in love with the Bible. And you meditate in it, and you study it, and you delight in it every day and every night. I'll say it like this. If you and I as a Christian don't have much of a relationship with our Bible, we won't enjoy very deep fellowship with our God. You study the Bible and see what the Bible says about itself. The Bible declares it's water and it's bread. The Bible is a light and the Bible is a lamp. The Bible is our sword and the Bible is a shield. The Bible is sweet and it can be bitter. The Bible cleanses and corrects and comforts and it can cut. Other books can give good information, but the Bible can transform our life. In fact, Job himself said it in chapter 23, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And it's amazing, isn't it, that the God of eternity would take time to condescend and become an author and give you and I a book and invite us to read it and learn more about him. I often say it when I preach on the radio. I'll say, if you do these three things that will help you as a Christian, they're simple, they're basic, but do them every day. Number one, you got to pray every single day. And I don't mean just utter words up into the atmosphere, but I mean go to God and talk to God. Spend time in prayer. Number two, you got to try to witness every day. I don't mean just go up to somebody, you know, but get a gospel track and leave it somewhere laying every single day. Get the gospel out every day. The number three, you got to read your Bible every single day. I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true for me. I tend to go to parts of the Bible that I think I need at that moment in my life. If I'm going through something, I'll go find an area of the Bible that kind of matches up or meets that thing that I'm going through, and I'll study it for that point in my life. For example, if I feel like I need some wisdom, I'll go read Proverbs. If I feel like I need to worship God, then I go to the book of Psalms. If I want zeal for the work of God, then I go study the book of Acts. If I feel like I want to deepen my walk with God, I'll read the epistles that Paul wrote in the New Testament. If I kind of feel like I'm losing, I go to the book of Revelation and read that thing, and it reminds me that I'm on the winning side. You ever notice how that is at Christmas time? We like to read Luke chapter 2, and at Easter, we like to read John chapter number 20, and it seems like whatever we're going through, that's where we find ourselves studying. Well, on that note, let me say the book of Job is basically the go-to book for a Christian when they're going through a trying season in life. When you feel like you're weary, you feel like you're wrecked, if you feel like you're asking questions like, why is this happening? We often find ourselves in the book of Job. Now, Job is a very deep book, a very contemplative book. It's a time of a dark season and a searching time in the life of Job. If you take time to read through the entirety of the book, I believe you can hear the heart of Job crying out and see his soul poured upon the pages of the Bible. Now, I know Jesus is our primary example in everything, but I think God gave us a good example in Job on how we ought to weather those stormy seasons in our life. And it might be for you tonight, and if not tonight, it will be eventually. All of us have been there, but we have that proverbial season in our life where it feels like we're sitting in the ashes and everything is falling apart around us. It might be a family tragedy. It might be a physical problem. It might be discord in your home. It might be a financial loss. It might be an accusation against your character. But the truth of it is this. All of us at times find ourselves in all this just like Job was. 
As you open up your Bible and begin to read Job chapter 1, it begins to testify about the man. We begin by seeing the reputation of Job. In verse number 1 of chapter number 1, it said, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. He was one that feared God, and he eschewed evil. The Bible tells us that Job is a man that loved God. He's a spiritual pace setter. He loved the Lord, and the Lord loved him. He wasn't sinless, but he strived to be spiritual and live as close to God as he could. In verse 2 and 3, the Bible tells us about Job's riches. You can look at it. There was, a, there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. You see, what happened is Job loved God. God loved on Job and he blessed him beyond measure. He's not just one of many he is the top if you will there's no man as blessed as this man in that region of the world in verse number 4 and 5 we read about Job's religion I won't take the time to read it you can read it but it says when the sun came up in the morning Job found himself worshiping God he'd go and offer sacrifices on behalf of his children he was the high priest of his home and he led his family to walk with God I tell you that to say this Job is not some slacker Job is not some backslidden Christian. Job is not some in and out, up and down, kind of on and then off for God kind of man. He's walking with God. He is worshiping God. He is faithful to God. But we find out from verse 6 through much of the rest of the book that a tragedy and a trial and a test comes to the life of Job. The blessed man in the opening five verses becomes the embattled man swallowed up in suffering the rest of the book. Now, when I say the name Job, probably you thought about suffering. His name is synonymous with it. In verse number 6, the devil comes to the Lord and stands before him, and you know what happens. The devil's been roaming to and fro in the earth, and the Lord gives Satan the, uh, the uh, permission to go and begin to afflict Job. That conversation unfolds in the beginning. In verse number 13, the furnace is lit in Job's life. He's placed in the fire. Trial comes to Job's life unlike any man's ever had to endure. If you study the suffering of Job, it progresses. First, Job is afflicted in his fields. Then Job is afflicted in his finances. And finally, he's afflicted in his family. I know you know the story, but it tells us as you begin to read it how different things take place where robbers come and fire falls from heaven and all of his wealth is consumed. And then Job, a messenger, comes and tells him, Job, all of your children were eating together in a house and a wind began to blow from the wilderness and that house began to shake on its foundations. And Job, he would say, I hate to say it, but that house gave way to the wind and it fell and all your sons and all your daughters are dead. And by the time you get to verse number 19, Job is left with his flock stolen and his servants murdered his sheep burned up and all of his children dead he woke up that day blessed beyond measure but by that end of that day his world was turned upside down now think about it with me imagine the heartache and imagine the shock and imagine the, the pain that Job is in that previous night he's the most blessed man on the face of the planet he got up that morning singing ain't God good to give me 
with so many blessings. But can now say he's broken more than any man has ever been. No more do his servants fill his home. No more do his livestock fill his fields. No more is their money stacked up in his coffers. No more does he hear the voices of his sons and daughters. Now this man is burying his children. Now this man is broken. Now this man is suffering. He's hurting. He's humbled. And in verse 19, I like what he does. He handles his suffering by having faith in God, lifting up his hands toward heaven, falling to the ground, and worshiping the Lord. I like the statement he makes. He said, God was good before it, and I believe God is good in it. God was good. God is good. God's going to be good. He said, I think I'll just bless his name. Now, let's not just blow by that. Can I say that's pretty heavy worship right there? People worship God when your money's gone, and to worship God when your living is gone, and the worship God when your children are dead don't tell me this man is not some sort of a sizable man he is he's got some faith in God he's worshiping God he's praising God and I like it in all that Job didn't sin in that heartache Job didn't sin in that shock, Job didn't sin. In that pain, Job didn't sin. In that loss, Job didn't sin. In that bitterness, Job didn't sin. In that sorrow, Job didn't sin. Then you get to chapter 2 and again. Rolls again. You get to chapter number 2. The devil's not done with Job. He moves away from his flocks and his finances and his children and his family and now begins to afflict his flesh and turn his own friends on him. In verse number 7, the Bible said Job's body becomes ravaged by these oozing, burning sores. You can see it there if you want to look at it with me. In verse number 7, the Bible says Job with sore boils. He's covered with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. You can see him there as this man, every inch of his body is burning with pain. His nerves are ravaged and he is in such pain he'll sit down with a broken shard of pottery and very uh, much mutilate his flesh to try to find some relief if it wasn't enough that his fields were taken, if it wasn't enough that his flocks were gone, if it wasn't enough uh, that his family now was dead, now his flesh is covered in these boils, then Job's wife begins to speak up. And Job's wife looks at him, I mean a mangled mess of a man, and she thinks he sinned and brought judgment to their home. And this little lady looks at him as she paces the other end of the house and says, Job, are you still alive? Job, are you still alive? Why don't you just curse God and kill yourself we'd be better off if you leave we'd be better off if you were gone we'd be better off if you're dead if it wasn't enough to lose your money and if it wasn't enough to lose your family and if it wasn't enough to have your flesh tormented man your own wife looking at you saying I wish you were dead that's heavy stuff but in verse number 10 it says his faith is unshaken and in all that Job didn't sin what do you mean? I mean in destroyed property, Job didn't sin. I'm talking about in stolen assets, he did not sin. In murdered employees, if you will, he did not sin. In dead children, he did not sin. In this incurable disease, he did not sin. In unanswered prayer, that's what he did at the end of the chapter. Began to pray. In unanswered prayer, he, he did not sin. In marital problems, he did not sin. And then you get down to the remaining verses of the chapter, and Job's friends come, and they simply sit there and don't say anything to Job. But I bet they were whispering among themselves. I wouldn't doubt they didn't murmur 
murmur a little bit and just quietly talk and Job's off to the side and they begin to run him down a little bit. They begin to kind of cast their judgment on Job and for seven days that broken man who was so blessed before is sitting there in ashes. There's the graves of his children on the horizon. Everything taken away and yet not one time did Job do anything to affect his character or mess up his testimony. He maintained his faith in God. In all that, he was still worshiping. In all that, he still had faith. In all that, he was still leaning on Jesus. In all that, he was still trusting in the Lord. He did all right in all that. He was hurting but faithful. He was in misery but worshiping. He was broken but had hope. He'd been forsaken, yet he trusted. He was tormented, yet he prayed. But then you get to chapter 3. And it's the darkest chapter in this book. Job is basically requesting to die. These are the words of a man that is in such severe pain and agony that he'd rather not live anymore. Wave upon wave, sorrow has been crashing into his life. And now he says, you know what? The billows are more than I can take. You can see that Job in chapter 1 and 2 did all right, but in chapter 3... The Bible said in verse number 1, after this, not in it, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Then you read the rest of the chapter and you read it and find out what happens. He begins to curse, in a way, curse his creator. He curses his cre- uh, cal- the calamity. He worships the fact he'd been conceived in the womb of his mother. The whole book talks about, the whole chapter talks about darkness and blackness and night and shadow. And listen, this is just seven days after that man had put himself in the ashes and in sackcloth sat down and said, God was good. God is good. God's going to be good. It didn't take a year. It didn't take a couple months. It didn't take a couple weeks. It was just seven days after the waves quit rolling. It was seven days after the stillness had set in. It was seven days after the funerals had subsided. Job sat there seven days after he'd been so faithful to God and began to curse with his mouth. Now, I want you to understand something. I could get that. I could get that. I could get Job cursing when those people came and said, hey, your servants are dead. I could get him. I'd give him some room there because I'd say probably most of us would have done it. I could get him losing faith when they said, your livestock has been stolen. I could understand that. I could get it. I could definitely get it. If somebody called me tonight, God forbid, in a bad phone call about my son, Man, I don't know how I'd react. I'd like to tell you would be a super Christian, but I don't know if I would or not. I could get that. I could give room to somebody who didn't handle that very well at first. But what bothers me here and what I want to warn you about tonight is this. He made it through. Wait a minute, Job. You made it through all that. You did good. You stood beside ten caskets and said, God is on his throne. You stood there with an empty bank account and said, God is on his throne. You stood there in divorce court and said, but God is on his throne. You stood there with your body wrapped and said, yeah, but God is on his throne. And you made it through. The valley was over. The storm subsided. But then when he sat there and he thought about it, he thought, wait a minute, God wasn't fair. He did all right in the bad phone call. He did all right in the funeral uh, plans. He did all right when the job was first hanging in the balance. He did all right that first fight with his spouse. He did all right that first bad day. He did all right as long as there were still treatments to take. 
But once the doctor said there's no reason for any more treatments. Amen. He did all right as long as there's still hope that lost person might get saved. But when that lost person died without getting saved. After that, the attack began to be waged in his life after seven days of thinking. After seven days of quiet, after seven days of it setting in, after seven days of nothing new taking place, after seven days of being idle, after seven days of battling on the outside and hurting on the inside, Job opens his mouth and begins to curse. He lives in a dark place. He worshiped through the trial, but he got bitter after the trial. And here's what he did. He began to attack God. He began to curse his blessing. He began to wish he was dead. He thought about killing himself. And everything in chapter 3 is so dark. There's a term they use for soldiers, and I'm not real big into this kind of psychiatry, so I don't know anything about it. But you know the term PTSD. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. And it's not stress during the battle, but it's stress that sets in after the battle's over. They had a traumatic experience that affected them after the fact. Stress under the surface after the initial stress already subsided. And the reason an aftershock is so dangerous is that aftershock makes it dangerous for those first responders to get in and rescue people that are in danger from the previous earthquake. You know what you and I got to be careful about? That stress that hides below the surface. That whenever you're taking care of your dying parents, you don't have time to realize it's there. Come on now. That whenever you're in the midst of dealing with that issue you don't have time to sit still and realize oh man this thing's hitting me but then once the initial stress has subsided and and the phone calls quit coming we're praying for you because now it's done we're not going to keep and maybe what we don't keep calling you every week praying for you after it's all done after the meals quit showing up at your house after the hugs quit and the arm around your shoulder and, brother, I know what you're going through. After people move on with their life and yet you're still living in it. And it gets real quiet. That's where you've got to be careful. That you don't lie. I, I had a man, who, the man who taught me how to play guitar. He's dead now. He was a Vietnam War veteran, good man there in West Virginia. And uh, I, I go home every year around uh, Thanksgiving. You think, you think that's to see my family, but that's the opening week of rifle season for deer. So anyway, I go home for Thanksgiving, and it just happens to schedule that way. But anyway, we go home, and, and I wanted to go see that man. And my dad told me, he said, son, he said, I, I hate to tell you this. He said, but he's dead. I said, what do you mean he's dead? He said, he shot himself. And here's the problem. He survived the battle in the jungle, but he lost the battle in his head. I want to admonish you this morning. Hey, listen, you better be careful with your after this because you might find your after this is more of a trial than your in all this ever was. I tell you what our biggest enemy is after a trial. It is idle time because time erodes faith. When you sit there and it's quiet and it's just you alone with your thoughts and you better watch it, the devil come up and sit on your shoulder, begin to whisper in your ear and tell you God got it all wrong. Can I say there might be faith and victory and optimism and hope while you're in it, but after that thing's settled, it's kind of hard sometimes to see any victory, optimism, or hope after it's already been decided. And we're going to have to determine we're going to handle our after this with faith in God just like we got the in all this with faith in God. Uh, Moses went through it. It's all right to get upset in it. 
It is. Moses did it. Just can't live there. Elijah got under that juniper tree, but I'm glad he didn't die there. Amen. You think about it. David got there. Solomon got there. Jeremiah got there. It's all right. It's all right. It's, and I'm not advocating it, but it's all right. If you get bitter for a minute, it's all right, but just get over it. If you get angry for a second, I, I'll give you room there. Amen. But you better get over it. Right? If you say something you ought not say, I understand that. But you better get over it. In all this, you might have that hope, but after this, it's settled. It gets difficult. Let me say it like this. The in all this, a cancer might not get you. But the after all this, the in all this of divorce proceedings might not get you. But the after this, the in all this of financial trouble might not get you. But the after this, the in all this of a kid that goes crazy might not get you because it keeps you busy chasing them. But the after all this, the in all this of a loved one passing away might not get you. As long as a man has hope, he can live. But it's after that hope of what you wanted so bad is gone that you've got to be careful. Let me give you a few ways Job sinned to think about. I believe, number one, Job sinned with his mind. You say, what do you mean? Obviously, all this chapter 3 had to be stewing in his mind at the end of chapter 2. He didn't just blurt it out spontaneously. I understand it's inspired scripture, but this is in Job's heart. I think those seven days of silence gave Job too much time to think. You know, the most, I just got done preaching a long series in our church on spiritual warfare. You know, the fiercest front in spiritual warfare is your mind. Because you and I will put things in our head that don't even exist. <laughs> And we'll fabricate some scenario and make something up in our head. And I'll tell you something, if we're not careful, we've got to gird up the loins of our mind. All right, number one, he sinned with his mind. You better watch what you ponder all day long. I like that song, I think of my blessed Redeemer, right? Think of him all the day long. I sing because I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I'm redeemed. That's something good to think about, isn't it? Let your mind be stayed upon the Lord. He'll give you perfect peace. Number one, he sinned with his mind. But number two, watch this, then he sinned with his mouth. Because in chapter three, what he was thinking came out. I tell you what you're going to be careful with after all this is blaming God for everything or the church that got you through it. Man, I see that everywhere. The church that labored, the church that gave money, the church that made the meals, the church that had special prayer meetings, the church that came to your house. But then after you get through it and it didn't work out the way you wanted God to work it out and he didn't do exactly how you thought he ought, you blamed the church for getting it wrong. Amen. Begin to curse God, curse the people of God, curse the things of God. Though in the trial, man, God, God's on his throne. He'll take care of it. And he did take care of it, but maybe not the way you wanted it. Number one, he sinned with his mind. Number two, he sinned with his mouth. Number three, listen to this word. It's just alliterated. I was he sinned with his mania. M-A-N-I-A. You know what mania means? His obsession. You see, what do you mean? In Job chapter one, you know what Job was obsessed with? Worship. That's what he is known for. Sacrificing for his children, getting up when the sun got up, make sure he was at an altar. He worshipped in his trial, worshipped before his trial. And all you read about is his walk with God. But you know what you read about in chapter 3? Job. Job. There's no worship in chapter 3. It's all about Job. It's all about his problem. And here's what happened. He got obsessed with his hurt. I'll tell you what he did. He made an idol out of his tragedy. 
I tell you what, you got to be careful with after all this. You ever meet those people, all they can talk about is that one thing that happened to them that shouldn't happen to them. You can't have a conversation with them. You want to, you try to be nice to them, you go up and say, how you doing today? And then you think, I shouldn't ask them that. Don't you hate people? Hey, let me go ahead and help you. If I ask you that, I don't care. I'm just being nice. I'm just, <laughs> don't, you don't have to tell me. Isn't that true? We go to the people and they go, why did I say that? Depressed, you know what I mean? But honestly, you ever met that person and that's all they can talk about is that one thing? I've met people who had something, and it's a real tragedy and I hurt for them. It happened, happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. And yet that's still all that they're stuck on. There's never any man worshiping God's good or this blessing happened in my life. It's always that bad thing that took place. A little different kind of message. Let me give you this and I'm going to close, but it illustrates it. Real true story. There's a woman that went on a hike with her husband in a park in Canada. And they were hikers and they were active and they went to this park together to hike through the woods. And as they began to hike in those woods, they heard or, or rather they smelled a strange smell out in the woods. And they thought, what in the world is that? And they came upon a carcass of a deer that had been killed. They walked a little bit further. Then the husband separated from his wife, went further down the trail, and all of a sudden she heard her husband screaming. And she walked around the bend and saw a huge grizzly bear on top of her husband. He was mauling his head and severe damage causing that woman at instinct went and tried to protect her husband went up and hit that bear and that bear jumped on her and just crushed her both of them were in the hospital but you read the article that i read and said the the, the thing happened is in the hospital they were so different the husband was optimistic the woman was obsessed with that bear that husband had his jaw wired shut but he, was, he, 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 would, he would try to eat and drink through the straw, and the wife wouldn't eat anything, just obsessed. The husband did his best to wheel himself in a wheelchair and, and go down the, the halls, and the woman just lay in her bed all day, obsessed with that bear. They got out of, out of, out of the hospital, went home. God blessed them. They had children, but the woman would go to the window all the time and look out the window and look for that bear. That bear was gone. That's past. But in her mind, that thing was lurking out there. She'd go out there and look out those windows. And because of that, she wouldn't go on family vacations. She wouldn't go camping with the family. She wouldn't go out of the house. She wouldn't hold a job. She began to write books about grizzly bears and just obsess over those bears. And it messed their marriage up to where they ended up uh, 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 just having marital problems. And then 25 years after, 25 years after that bear attack, the husband came home and his wife wasn't there. They began to look for her, couldn't find her. And finally, the police found her dead, killed herself in a hotel room in that town. And the article said this, that woman finally lost her fight with the bear she started 25 years earlier. The in all this didn't kill her. But the after all this, she couldn't shake. That's what got her. And that's a little different kind of a message, but I want to try to warn you and help you tonight. You better be careful if you've already gone through it, how you handle the after. How are you taking it now? It can be like that with sin. The initial right after the fact, you know, I'm doing all right with it. But then you sit there and read, the devil use that on you. And we know God forgives us and it's cleansed and it's gone, but we have a hard time convincing ourselves because we feel guilty about it. And if we're not careful, I've seen folks fall out long after it's been dealt with. It's done. It's okay. 
You know, it's over. I wonder what it is tonight. You're not in it maybe, but it's after. I'm going to pray the altar be open. Maybe you need to come tonight and say, Lord, help me to be faithful, to do right in the after all this. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. You know the need of the people this evening, and I believe this is what you lay on my heart. So I pray that you'd take the thought and apply it where it needs to be. I pray you'd help somebody, Lord. Thank you for the example in Job. And I'm glad there's more to his story. I'm glad that you used his life and blessed him toward the end of the book. But I pray you'd help us, Lord, to be watchful. And I pray that we'd be very careful. Lord, not just to do well in it, but also to do well and be faithful after it. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open. Do you need to come talk to the Lord tonight as the pianists play and Brother Sam's going to sing whenever you're ready, you can. But the altar is open. Why don't we spend some time tonight after all this? I